Hi, I'm Andy Sohn. Camp Arcadia and Church Extension Fund are two of my favorite ministries. I came to camp for teen and family weeks and worked on staff there for four of the best summers of my life. I grew in mind, body, and spirit. CEF's mission to help build God's kingdom is integral to places like camp that make ministry happen. CEF provides loan and investment options for Lutherans and other ministries. To learn more about how you can get involved, visit mi-cef.org. Church Extension Fund, building the future in Him. Welcome to the 2022 season of the Arcadia Cast. Camp Arcadia's Dean and Lecturers program recorded live in the assembly during the 100th anniversary season. In groupings of episodes, we will feature each series of lectures shared during camp's 2022 season. So grab your cup of coffee and imagine Lake Michigan out the windows to your right as you tune in and join the camp community in listening and learning. So, I apologize that I did not get to everything that people gave me to perhaps talk about texts of your own, uh, uh, texts that have puzzled you that you thought I might talk about. I tell you, tell you what I'm not getting to, the healing of the pool, the healing at the pool of troubled water in John 5, uh, that I... I do want to point out very quickly, and I'm not going to spend much time on these things because there's other stuff to do, but uh, the verb for being troubled in that water in the story of John 5 where this man can't get to the pool in time when the water is troubled to get healed and Jesus then heals him. That verb for being troubled is used repeatedly in John's Gospel to talk about Jesus. And every time Jesus is troubled, this kind of thing happens. He raises Lazarus. <laughs> or he does something else that opens the way for the world. So Jesus is a troubled soul whose trouble heals. And we who are dipped in the troubled waters of baptism and become troubled in the way that he is troubled by crucifixion or by baptism into his crucifixion and death, we become the troubled waters that give healing to those who get dipped into our community. And finally, the story of Genesis 21 of Abraham kicking out Hagar. Uh, but this is the second time she is expelled from the household. This time her son is a little bit older. And uh, Abraham is doing this unwillingly. And so he packs lunch for her and does a bunch of other stuff. And uh, sends her off into the wilderness where God finds her and promises to bless her uh, offspring and they too will become a great people and a people who are known to God as part of the seed of Abraham. That's a twin story to the story in Genesis 16 where Sarah throws Hagar out the first time because she doesn't like Hagar's attitude because Hagar got pregnant when Sarah couldn't. <laughs> and Sarah's furious and she 
treated Hagar harshly, says the text. Hagar is an Egyptian, and Sarah throws her out into the wilderness, and God finds her in the wilderness and sees her, listens to her, gives her a promise about her child, and then she proves herself the Bible's first theologian. Theology is the business of naming or describing God, Theologos. She is the first person in the Bible to give God a name and a description. An Egyptian slave. And a woman. And a woman. I see you are Ael Roi, she says, the God who sees. But in the context of the larger story of all this, here's the story, see if this starts to sound familiar, of someone who's the ancestor of the Israelites who oppresses an Egyptian slave and treats her harshly and she flees to the wilderness for safety and God finds her out there and makes promises to her. What goes around comes around. Some generations later, the people who treated Egyptian slave harshly are now being treated harshly as slaves in Egypt, and they flee to the wilderness, and that's where they find God, in the wilderness. The stories are parallel. Genesis 16 prefigures all of Exodus and the rest of the Pentateuch. Genesis 21, the story of the origins of the Ishmaelites, says Ishmael and Isaac are brothers. They could have stayed together, but no, this action made them separate people, and we ended up with enemies. Look what happens when you toss people out. You don't have to have enemies. <laughs> anyway. Okay. On to the uh, planned, or what I planned as the agenda for our last time together. And um, I introduced, I've been giving devotions in the staff uh, breakfast area every morning, giving a little glimpse uh, of what we're going to do here. And I started today by saying, yesterday, come with me, was the good news. Today, it's going to sound slightly different. Another way to say, or to introduce what I'm going to do, is to say, and a friend of mine said, suggested this to me after uh, after the staff devotion, one of my old college and seminary classmates who's working here this week, he quoted Mark Twain to me, and he, Mark Twain is said to have said, it's not the confusing texts of the Bible that bother me, 
It's the ones that are perfectly clear. <laughs> so I'm going to read a bunch of texts, which uh, my own way of introducing them is to say they leave us on our deathbeds with W.C. Fields. Some of you may remember W.C. Fields, the uh, movie actor from the early 20th century, comedian, kind of eccentric character who everyone loved to imitate. And W.C. Fields was uh, famously, because people didn't go around talking about this in that part of history that much, he was an agnostic and he made a big point of not believing all this stuff that all his naive friends believed. And when he was on his deathbed, one of his Hollywood friends came to visit him and found him on the bed reading his Bible and was totally astonished to see him doing that and said, W.C., what are you doing? And he said, looking for loopholes. <laughs> So, here are some texts that leave me looking for loopholes. One of them I have in my notes here, and somebody asked about this, uh, someone in the group. Deuteronomy 15, verse 1. I'll start in the Hebrew Bible. It really gets scary when we get to the New Testament. Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of debts, If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You shall rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so, for on this account the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake." Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy in your land. Deuteronomy 24, 14 and following. You shall not withhold the wages of poor and needy laborers, whether other Israelites or aliens who reside in your land or one of your towns. You shall pay them their wages daily before sunset because they are poor and their livelihood depends on them. Otherwise, they might cry out to the Lord against you and you would incur guilt. And there's a whole bunch of Other things like parents shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their parents. Only for their own crimes may persons be put to death. Which kind of makes you wonder about when a Deuteronomistic historian says God just couldn't get over Manasseh and so blew away Josiah and his people in fury for what grandfather Manasseh did. That seems to be against God's commandments. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt 
And the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the foreigners, the orphan, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. And then on and on about how you're not supposed to glean your fields or your orchards and so forth. You leave that stuff for those who have nothing. And then I decided just to stick with Luke alone. Hard sayings like this in the New Testament. And everything I'm telling you is all over the place, not just in Luke, but in Matthew and Mark and some of it in John. You know, Luke 4, verses 24 and following. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in a prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine in the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. So while the Israelites starved, God went and helped somebody up in Phoenicia. What? God cares about them? There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up and drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Righteous anger will get you killed. Luke 5. Levi gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at table with them. The Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, saying, Why do you eat, with, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 6, verses 17 and following. It's Luke's Sermon on the Plain, which is a kind of shortened version of what we find in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's, Matthew 5 to 7. I'm not going to read all of it. This is just the hard part. I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, don't withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. If anyone takes away your goods, don't ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you.
I always feel the need to add that this is not an order to people suffering abuse, that they are supposed to sit there and take it. That's not what this is about. This is about discipleship in general, not about whether or not you should or shouldn't look out for your own welfare as a person as though you don't matter and the other person does. That's not the point of this. Nevertheless, there is the commandment, bless those who curse you and love your enemies. And then finally, there's stuff like this. He said to them all, Luke chapter 9, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, not deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For who wants to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their life or forfeit themselves? Luke 12, at the end of the speech that has the only commandment that uh, some of us, including Emily Dickinson, have ever succeeded in keeping, that is the commandment, consider the lilies. That's, that commandment is kind of easy to keep, right? Look at the flowers. Okay, there's one that works. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, but God feeds them. And then Jesus goes on to say, so why are you worrying? Well, I know what ravens eat. Roadkill. It's kind of crazy to think about God having to make sure there's enough roadkill so the ravens don't starve. But the end of that. Here's how not to worry. How to live like the birds and the flowers. Sell your possessions. Give them away as alms. Make purses for yourselves that don't wear out. Unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But you can't have a purse like that until you've sold all your other possessions, gotten rid of everything that you have. Luke 14, the gospel lesson coming up in a week or so, and I'm going to talk more about this one later. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Skip a couple of verses here about, you know, people who build towers count the cost. People who go out to fight against an enemy calculate how many people do you need to do that. And if you can't, you better make peace quickly. And then Jesus concludes like this. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple 
if you do not give up all your possessions. And the word there for possessions is a big word that doesn't just mean your stuff. It's a word that means everything over which you have influence and control. Don't merely give up your stuff. Give up your authority. Give up your clout. Give up your privilege. Give up your influence. Give up your memberships in groups that give you clout. Give up all that you control and come follow me. I think the next chapter of Luke, chapter 15, this parable of the two brothers and the one who can't tolerate the coming back of the other, who gets treated with uh, great hospitality, even though he's wasted the family, his part of the family fortune, while the older brother stayed behind and worked his butt off like a slave for his dad and cannot party. That's a hard word. Son, you are always with me, says that weary father. All that is mine of your, is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Luke 18. Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler who wants to know how to have eternal life and they have a conversation about the commandments and the guy's a really good commandment keeper. But then Jesus says, verse 22, there's still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own, distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Does come with me still sound like a comforting word? There's a bunch more. I'll just tell you there's just as many in Matthew and just as many elsewhere. Where's the loophole? Uh, what I quoted from Luke 9 was uh, 23 to 26. Yeah. So... The sheep and the goats? You mean the, the parable in Matthew at the end, Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats? Where G- mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah. Did you, did you all hear what about the parable of the sheep and the goats? That's in Matthew 25. I didn't, I didn't quote that because I was sticking to Luke because that's the gospel we're in in this church here. It so happens I have done entire sessions up here on Matthew 25, and I've got a take on Matthew 25 that I could share. And it is the kind of text that's a great wrestling text, and it could have been one for today. I'll just tell you very briefly where I think, how I, how I choose to wrestle with that one. It's a, it's a classic text, and it's, it's got mysteries to it. Uh, for those of you that uh, don't remember it, it's the, in the parables of judgment at the end of Matthew. It's the, the Son of Man has before him all the nations and separates them, the sheep from the goats, and the goats are those who saw him, the Son of Man, in need and did nothing. And they say, when was that? And he said, well, I am what you see when you see the least of your brothers and sisters. And what you do to them or don't do to them is what you do to me. And he goes to the sheep and he says the same thing. You come with me because you saw me thirsty and gave me to drink and so on. And they say, when was that? When did we see you? When you did this to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. So who gets saved and who gets damned? Well, this is actually, you know, what Lutherans would call works righteousness. You're saved by what you do. Actually, it's just a parable about, really, it's a parable about what kind of life really matters and when you have wasted your life and when you have used it as God intended. But the people who wasted their lives being selfish, who didn't even one time, I mean, there's no numbers given to how many times you had to give a drink to a thirsty person or how many times you had to clothe a naked person. If It seems like if you just did it once, if you saw the Son of Man one time, the least of these, my brothers, you're in. And if you didn't, you're out. But what I do with that is a version of what I've done with everything else this week, and that is, I know people who are among the sheep. And when I imagine that scene, I imagine them in the line of the sheep watching this scene play out. And I think of certain individuals in particular watching Jesus say to the goats, off you go into the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I know precisely what those sheep would say they would say, wait, 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 wait. Those are the people we've been ministering to. You can't just send them away like that. Son of man, what are you thinking? Right? You know people like that? 
which puts the Son of Man in a tough spot (laughs) because they're using his best lines on him. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The people that didn't help you when they could have. So let us go over there, son of man. Let us go over there and help. We'll talk to them one more time. But the son of man says, this is a little drama I made up out of this. Son of man says, sorry, this is the last judgment. (laughs) The time is out. Time is up. You've either wasted your life or you haven't. And so the sheep say to the Son of Man, all right, if you won't let us go, you go. You go. Which is why he goes to preach to the spirits in prison. Because the sheep are right. If you do what Jesus teaches, that's what you do, even if you're the Son of Man. That's how I do it. Anybody got a loophole? Where's the grace of God fit in? In the give away all your stuff and in the in the command in relationship to the command. Well, I was kind of half joking that that parable was encouraging works righteousness. It, that's what it looks like to us Lutherans, that you could be saved by giving a drink of cold water to a starving person. Uh, and I didn't mean to be saying that's what the text taught. I think the grace of God is shot through all of these texts we're talking about because it is by grace that we even have a life. It is by grace that we get to be together. It is by grace that we aren't out in the street. (laughs) It's by grace that we aren't among the poor people who need the handouts. It's all grace. Everything we have is grace. That's where I... Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I think Jesus says, you know, you can give it all away and you're still rich. Pardon me? That's the contentment that Paul's discussing. Be content with little Yeah, there's a certain contentment perhaps we can talk about. Uh, that, uh, I, I, this makes me think of a story I was sharing to, with somebody else here. I, I remember the time that after my family had a house fire and everything had to be moved out of our house, but we didn't have any place else to live, so we lived on the subfloors 
with no furniture and no curtains for about four months while everything was gone and they were repainting and reflooring and all this stuff. And I'll never forget the day they brought all our stuff back. After four months of living simply and happily, they brought all our stuff back. And I remember I almost cried. Like, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? That's just kind of a garden variety comment about how our stuff can own us. That's really not what we're trying to talk about here. Jesus demands that we put everything we have control and influence over our reputations, our privilege, our money, our smarts, whatever we have that has value into the service of his kingdom. And his kingdom is about making friends. That's all Jesus ever did. His entire wealth was his friends. That's why all he ever did was go around saying, come with me. And the rest of it was, we're going up to Jerusalem to die. Together. Because we're going to die anyway. That's where this is headed, people. So let's die together. That's the scene you see on the cross. Jesus, in Luke's gospel, hangs there with two criminals, one of whom taunts him like the rulers are doing. The other one says, Hey, you, with that king thing over your head, said Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, Sort of like the guys in jail with Joseph back in Egypt. Remember me when you get out of here. Give me a job, okay? This guy says to Jesus, Hey, King Jesus, when you take over, remember me. Can I be your lieutenant? Your left-hand guy. Jesus says, sure, bud. You and me. You're with me today, which means this is paradise. Paradise is the New Testament way to say Garden of Eden. Because they're together. And what else matters? This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus rejected the kingdom of God, which was all about having all the stuff you could imagine and having a life with a guarantee that it would never end too early or a kingdom that meant having our guy in charge no matter how many heads you had to bust and how, many no- how much noise you had to make. Jesus' kingdom was 
no matter the circumstances, we're together. That is riches in heaven. Even without all your stuff, you're rich. We're rich because we have each other. Those are the riches that count. And in Luke's way of thinking, those are the only riches that count. That's Luke's theology of wealth. <laughs> and the loophole, you know, how are we going to get out of this? Where's the thing to which we can get through and you know, whatever, escape this? The loophole is dying and recognizing that we're all going through the narrow space where you lose everything and the only thing that really matters between now and then is who you're with. And that you get to be with each other and in the presence of each other with him, the one who is the Christ of whose body we are together. So we're all with W.C. Fields on our deathbeds, and we're all looking for loopholes. But we have found the loophole in being with each other. That's all I got to say. Yeah, the, it, it's the moments when we experience loss of everything we thought we needed to be who we are or to have a life and then discovered, no, that didn't do it. What else is it? It's who you get to be with. Another way I would say, uh, express where is the loophole or what is the thing we should do in response to this command. You know, and I don't want to just join the ranks of those who say, ah, oh, Jesus was just kind of kidding. This was hyperbole. Uh, he didn't really mean get rid of all your stuff. I think he does mean, and this is what we need to struggle with every day, just like we need to struggle with things like 
you know, our prejudices and our addictions and everything else that is a lifelong grind, (laughs) we need to keep track of what do we own? What do we, what clout do we hold on to? What influence do we protect? What membership can we not give up that keeps us from each other? What keeps, whatever keeps me from having poor folks as my friends is a problem. Whatever keeps me from having those folks as my friend means I better check my club memberships or my own sense of who I have to be in the world. So if there's something that is cutting you off and you can't give up, that's the thing we all need to figure out. How do I leave that off at Goodwill? Where, Where do I give this away? A what? Well, Christ is the loophole. Christ is always the loophole. We're always going to go through Christ as the people baptized into his death to get wherever we need to go. Absolutely. Uh, And, of course, this is, you know, that's why Jesus says, come with me. (laughs) Come with me, people. We're going through the loophole. The loophole is on Golgotha. And, of course, those two guys making their plans. I mean, what a joke. That's my favorite picture of the church. A bunch of crucified people making plans as though there's a next. And, of course, the hope of resurrection and new life is the hope that always, when you're together, this will not end. And that, too, is hope-grounded in the risen Jesus Christ, whose body we are. Thank you so much. It's been a great honor to be with you this week and to just the fact that you listened to me patiently all this time uh, and uh, offered your comments and your wisdom and all the conversations that I've been privileged to have with you uh, aside from these sessions. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Arcadia Cast. Click on our show notes to find more information about our sponsor, Michigan Church Extension Fund, as well as a link to Camp Arcadia's website where you can make a gift to support Camp's ministry view our 2023 season schedule, register for retreats, and learn about serving on summer or end-of-season staff. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast feed so you can see every episode as soon as they are released. We hope today's episode blessed you, and we look forward to bringing you the next one.